Let's read our passage today from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. I love living in the tropics. I hated every moment in my life growing up in winter. My mother says that I would dress up in my snowsuit. She'd send me out with my brother who was a year older. And within two minutes, I would always be wanting to come back into the house where my brother would stay out there forever. I love being here because every day it's, it's 30 degrees Celsius. I can wear my sandals. I, I don't have to worry any about taking a jacket anywhere. I just love it here. But there's one thing I do miss, and it's spring. Because after being here on and on for many years, you begin to realize that spring is such a unique and beautiful time. One of my favorite places to be for spring is in Washington, D.C. Because in 1912, the emperor of Japan donated cherry trees to the United States. And they've planted these cherry trees around the, the National Mall. And there's 3,700 cherry trees there that all blossom over a two-week period. And the colors, the white, the pink, are just remarkable because it goes from a dead winter view of the National Mall to this vibrant, living, beautiful, colorful time. And that's what spring is about, is about this transformative, transformative a time of life when new life springs up and changes the way things are. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us about this passage today as well. This passage is addressing for us the difference not between the Old Testament with the New Testament because oftentimes that's what we think. But it's dressing for us the difference between the dead religion that was being practiced by the Pharisees and thrust upon the people with the new covenant, the Bible story of God's love and redemption for us. And the story is trying to tell us and draw us back to uh, the transformative power of the gospel message and how it can set us free from the old that brings death but bring us into the newness of life in the covenant with Christ. And so I want us to uh, look at two questions today. The first question is, are you religious? Because the old that Jesus is talking about is the old of religion of man-made traditions put on top of the gospel that keep people 
from the life and the enjoyment of a relationship with Christ. Now, being religious is something that you see all the time. In fact, I was, uh, it was remarkable the first time I remember very clearly when I was in Jerusalem. What shocked me most or what made the biggest impression on me as I walked through the city of Jerusalem, the old city, was how everybody wore their religion. Whoever passed you by, you could immediately tell, oh, that's a Jew. Oh, that's an Armenian Orthodox. Oh, that's a Catholic. Oh, that's a Muslim. Oh, that's an American. Because he was wearing shorts and a t-shirt and, you know, had a loud voice. Everybody wore their religion. Everybody made it visible. And that's exactly the kind of situation Jesus was ministering in as well. You see, in Jesus' days, there were religious parties. There were the secular Jews. There were the traditional Jews. The Jews. There were the fundamentalist Jews. There was the, the acidic Jews, or the, the people who thought they had to reject everything and go live out in the desert like the Essenes. And everybody had to align themselves with a religious party. And Jesus is ministering in this context, and he's bringing out a question to us all today. And the question is, is are you religious? You see, the ascetics here, they were the people that rejected all sorts of worldly trappings and just wanted to go back and focus on God and only do, th do things his way. And we see that here with the disciples of John coming. And they say, why don't you fast like the Pharisees? Why aren't your disciples fasting in an austere, rigorous way? The disciples of John, they mimic their teacher. And what did John do? He lived out in the wilderness. He wore a, a, a garment made out of camel's hair, very coarse. It wasn't a pretty silk outfit he was wearing. He ate locusts. He was a tough wilderness man, and his disciples had to be tough wilderness people as well. And the disciples thought that the more rigorous you were, the more true you were to the gospel message. Because that's what John was preaching. John was in, was in the wilderness. He wasn't in the temple. The temple was corrupt. It was without spiritual life. The Holy Spirit wasn't in the temple. The Holy Spirit was with John the Baptist in the wilderness. And the people were flocking out there. And the disciples thought that the more you deny the pleasures of this world, the more you were spiritual. In fact, what's happened is became the more you were out there, the more you became religious. And on one side, you had these people deny all the pleasures of the world. On the other side, you had the Pharisees. They were the legalists. The Pharisees were the ones who believed that the more rules you kept, the more happy God would be with you. And they didn't want to break the Ten Commandments, so they set up a hedge of hundreds of other rules to keep you from breaking one rule, which would keep you from breaking the Ten Commandments. 
They believed you could be in the world, you could have feasts, you could enjoy nice food because Jesus often had meals at the homes of Pharisees on the Sabbath. But they saw that the way you please God was by being more religious than everybody else. And the benchmark of how religious you were was the fast. And it's interesting because you see both these parties here talking in this sentence. Why do we and the Pharisees fast? The ascetics and the legalists, they found something in common. They're not like the secular hedonistic Jews. These are good, proper, religious people. And what was the litmus test to see whether you are a good, proper Jewish person is did you fast? Did you keep the rigorous fasting that was required by their parties to prove how religious you were? What's most interesting is the Old Testament, there was only one fast. And that was on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that fast was required for all of Israel because it commemorated the day that Moses was given the Ten Commandments and then he, he went down to Israel and saw them worshiping idols and he broke the Ten Commandments there. And then he went back up on the mountain. And Moses had prayed for and fasted for 40 days went down for one day, saw the idolatry of Israel, and then he immediately goes right back up into Sinai and he prays before the Lord and fasts again another 40 days. And this day of atonement, the day that the law was given to Moses, was the one and only day of fasting required for Israel. Now there were lots of voluntary fasts for Israel. They were to fast at time of war, they could fast when people were sick. They could fast when they mourned over the loss or the death of someone. They fasted when they were in danger. They fasted when they were asking for forgiveness. But those were all voluntary fasts. Not required by anybody. Then when we get into the New Testament, we see fasting was something that Jesus taught a lot about. We see Jesus uh, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. In the Sermon on the Mount, which we've studied in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you fast, with an implication that you will fast. The early church met for prayer and fasting. We see that fasting was a part of the early church's fabric and the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament. But all this was very different from the fasting that was being done by the Pharisees. The Pharisees had developed a whole tradition of fasting which went well beyond what was required in Scripture. Their fasting was twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And if you were spiritual, you would fast. And you knew people were fasting because they looked like it. They would uh, whiten their faces so they looked ashen and pale and like they were, like they were in shock. And they would mess their hair all up. And they wouldn't take a bath. And they would show that today, woe is me, I'm fasting because of the sin of the people. And everybody could see the great religiosity of the Pharisees through their fasting. 
And so Jesus is presenting to us some option here in response to this question. The disciples of John the Baptist come and say, why doesn't your disciples fast like these Pharisees? Why aren't they being religious like we are and like the Pharisees are? Well, Jesus turns it around and he says, look guys, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, are you religious? The question is, are you spiritual? There's a great difference between spirituality and religiosity. There's a great difference between having life in Christ and just simply going to church. And Jesus is giving us here three pictures of what it is that he's doing. He invites us to see three things to teach us about what it means to be spiritual rather than just simply following traditions made by people. The first picture is of a wedding. He says, can the guests of a wedding mourn as long as the bridegroom was with them? You see, when you go to a wedding, you don't fast. You have a party. It's a time of great joy. I love going to Indonesian weddings because, you know, you go in this room and it's filled with thousands of people. And they've got all the food already prepared and ready to go. And, you know, you, you begin to come up with, a, after years of being here, you begin to come up with good strategies, best practices on how to maximize the crowd and the buffet, buffet lines in order to get the food that you want. And you figure, should I stand over there so I can shake hands first and then get food? Should I go over and get the food first and then shake hands? And it all depends whether you have to stay for the final pictures or not. Okay, and we've got a whole science. And if you want to consult with me later on this, I'm happy to consult with you. But Indonesian weddings are great because it's a food festival. And Indonesia's got some of the best food in the world. And so it's a great time of great joy. Well, a Jewish festival for a wedding was even greater. Their parties lasted seven days. And it was food and wine over and over, day after day. And it was a great time. And Jesus is saying, why would you fast when the wedding is going on? That's just stupid. He's saying, you guys might be religious over there, but you're missing the bridegroom who's here. There was a time for fasting. But this isn't it. This is a time for rejoicing because Christ is here. The bridegroom is amongst you. He says, but soon the bridegroom will be taken away. And you can fast then. He's talking about his death. He's talking about how he must die and rise again in order to consummate this marriage. But this is not the time. And Jesus is bringing us into a picture of what it means to be spiritual. And it starts by recognizing there's a bride and a bridegroom. In the Old Testament, the bride was Israel. But the bride often fell into sin and was described as being an adulteress. In the New Testament, Christ calls his bride the, the church's bride. 
And this is a time of great rejoicing. Why? Because we are united with Christ. The bridegroom has come. The promises of God are all yes in Christ. Time of great celebration for us. And it's ridiculous for Jesus' disciples to fast when they're with Jesus every day. The second picture he invites us to see then is a tailor's shop. He says, no one puts a piece of cloth that's unshrunk on an old garment. Because what happens is the patch will tear and it tears away the garment and makes it worse. He's saying when you've got clothes that are worn out, you don't put a piece of cloth on it because now instead of making the hole better, you've made the hole bigger. Cloth needs to be washed. Otherwise, the first time it's washed, it shrinks, it will rip. I learned this the, the hard way when I got a pair of blue jeans. You know, you go to the store, you try on new blue jeans, and you find them, and they fit you perfectly, and then you take them home, and you put them in the washer, and the next day you wake up after you have washed your jeans, and you put them on, and they barely fit. And you can't quite snap the, the buckle around the waist. And you think, how much weight did I gain while I was sleeping? Well, you didn't. Cloth shrinks when you wash it. And when you have an old cloth and you put a new one on it, it's going to shrink and pull the other and rip it and ruin it. And what Jesus is saying is that your religious traditions... Your man-made litmus test of what is true and what is bad religion, it's not going to hold up with the new covenant that I'm bringing. Because I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm not talking about religious works. It's very easy for us to assume that Jesus is talking about the Old Testament is gone. It's the old one with a hole in it that needs to be patched. Jesus did not come to patch the Old Testament. What does Paul say in Romans? He says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that's a really important teaching for us. Because how many times have we heard this passage described incorrectly? And Jesus is telling us to, to come back to the, the gospel story in the scriptures and believe those, the story that Christ has fulfilled all the promises of God, but your traditions are not those promises. And your traditions need to be discarded because the new is here. Let go of the old. And then he goes on to the picture of a wine cellar. When he says, no one will put old wine or new wine into old wineskins. Because when you pour wine into a wineskin, it ferments, it grows. Why is it when you uncork a bottle of wine? You take out the wine cellar, you put the corkscrew in, and when you pull it out, what noise is made by a bottle of wine? Pop! Why? Because the wine has fermented. It released gas and you can tell when you uncork a bottle of wine whether this wine is going to be sour or not why because when you uncork it it needs to make a pop no pop 
means the gas has gone out, which means there's a leak somewhere in the bottle or the cork, and the wine has spoiled over the years. And Jesus is saying, when you take an old wineskin that had been stretched due to the fermentation, and you fill it now with more wine, it's going to expand again through fermentation, and these wineskins are going to tear and be ruined. So what's Jesus telling us in these three stories? Don't fast, the bridegroom is here. Don't try to patch the holes of your religiosity with Christ. Don't try to put something new in what is old. What's he saying to us? The lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us and focus our attention on is that you can't patch Jesus onto your self-righteousness. The whole premise of religiosity is that I can take care of things myself. But danger ensues when I try to put Jesus onto my own work. You can't have it both ways. You can't say I want Jesus and grace, but I want to earn my way to heaven. Jesus isn't a patch that you can put on your guilty conscience. He's not an insurance policy that you can just purchase to get out of free, get out of jail free at a certain time. Jesus is talking about discarding your old righteousness, your own religious works, your sense that I can save myself. He says, throw it away. Because the gospel is all that will work. And the gospel can't coexist with your religiosity. So Jesus is taking the question, are you religious? And turning it around to say, do you have spiritual life? Do you have gospel life in you? Are you truly religious? Are you truly spiritual? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Let me just give you a few principles here to remind you of what this is. True, spiritu true spirituality is not religiosity, but relationship. It's a relationship with Christ. It's not Oprah Winfrey spirituality in which you just feel spiritual and connect with a spiritual guide out there. True spirituality is a relationship with Christ because only Christ has made it possible for you to enter into a relationship with the true God. He revealed the true God. He tore open the screen, the curtain that separated man from God in the temple, and now that access to the throne room of heaven has been granted to you and I. But it's not rules. It's not religious, self-righteous works. It's not the Pharisees who are committed to saving themselves by being the most holy people by proving it by doing the most religious things. It means putting aside your self-righteousness and accepting God's righteousness. True spirituality is not religiosity but relationship. True spirituality is not your works but Christ's works. 
It's recognizing that you cannot save yourself. It's finally coming to God and admitting that you have tried to patch Jesus here and here and here and make yourself look good on the outside, but in reality, you recognize that all of your self-righteous acts are like filthy rags. And it's like in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, where it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's talking about an exchange that's taking place where we give all our sin to Christ and Christ gives all his righteousness to us. And now God looks at us and he sees us as righteous because of what Christ did, not because of anything we could ever do. Thirdly, true spirituality is life, not the law. It's not about living according to rules. It's about living in a relationship with Christ and how you relate rightly to Christ. So we've taken on his, relation, his righteousness on ourselves. God looks at us now as being righteous, but now we live, we abide in Christ. We're united with Christ and day by day, that righteousness comes through us as a response to our salvation. And we obey the law, not because it saves us, but because we've been saved. And it's our response, our loving response to God to say, thank you. Because you have done this for me, I want to honor you. And I honor you by doing that which you've told me to do. And we see that true spirituality is not mechanistic, but it's organic. It flows out of this relationship Day by day, as we live in Christ and walk with Christ, the fruit of the Spirit becomes manifest in our life. It's not something that can be produced by A plus B plus C equals D, and doing these things will always result in this, but it's an organic life of being in the vine, and his life flows through you and produces beautiful fruit for his glory. So the question for us is, which of these best describes you? Are you religious? Are you today still trying to live based on your self-righteousness? Or have you today said, I am wanting to be filled with spiritual life. I want the new covenant to be a reality in my life. I want to see the life of Christ flow through me. And that can only be done by recognizing the bridegroom is here. Come to Jesus. Leave your filthy rags behind. Embrace the righteousness of Christ, his work on the cross on your behalf. Embrace Christ today. Confess him as your Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you did which no law could ever do, no religion could ever do. We will never have enough good works to ever pay our debt of sin. But only Christ could do that. Jesus, we thank you that because of your great and overwhelming grace, we're now in relationship with you. May we continue to abide deeply in Christ. Draw near to Christ every day. Give us a hunger and a thirst in our hearts for deep and intimate fellowship with you. Thank you for the newness of life that you're giving to us, the new covenant. Thank you for all that Jesus has done on our behalf. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.